0: Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, yet again, I'm going to be interviewing myself. That's me. And our topic today is going to be the Akashic field, sometimes also known as the Akashic records. So let me begin by asking you, what is this term all about? Well, the word Akashic is Sanskrit, and it basically means space, the space in which we all exist, one might say. But it has come to take on a a particular meaning, and if we go back historically, I have to, start with the great American psychologist and psychical researcher William James, certainly one of my intellectual heroes. But uh, in this instance, I'm not so sure. James used the term cosmic reservoir. Now, as one of the founders of the discipline of psychical research the he was a founder of the Society for psychical research in 1882 and one of their main objectives was to see if we could determine scientifically speaking whether or not the human personality could survive the death of the physical body this is the claim that the spiritualists were making the you could call it a religion or a social movement in the 19th century spiritualism was an enormous fad, comparable maybe to uh, the consciousness movement in all of its many manifestations in our current era. But back then, the idea was that spiritualists through their activities in seances were endeavoring to prove the survival of the human spirit, the human soul after the death of the body. And they believe that the various manifestations and seances uh, were evidential of that very fact. And William James was a respected professor of psychology at Harvard University. In fact, uh, the author of the very well, I don't want to say very first. It may not have been the very first, but the very most significant textbook in psychology at the time and is generally regarded as the father of American psychology. Well, in his position, and you have to appreciate that the 19th century in particular was a very materialistic age, the age of steam engines and railroads and uh, the beginnings of the telegraph and uh, on and on. The theories of Maxwell and Faraday. So, it's understandable even today that somebody uh, confronted with the evidence for survival would rather sit on the fence. It's hard to deny the evidence, let me put it that way. So, what James suggested is that All of the uh, accurate communications purporting to come from the deceased might have actually been pulled up from what he called the Cosmic Reservoir. In other words, that we're embedded in a sea of information and people with living people with telepathic clairvoyant abilities these days we might even say remote perception can tune in to the akashic field to the cosmic reservoir to the Akashic Records and gather this information. Very much the way you do a search on the internet. You put in your search terms and up comes the information. Well, that's very nice. It seems like a, a handy way to think of the universe as a whole. And I've heard other people suggest, yes, maybe the whole universe is like a big computer. What do you think of that? Well, you could say that it reduces the idea of the human being to a machine. and That's a very common metaphor. It certainly goes back to the 19th century, the idea that uh, we, organisms, are, might be thought of as just very complex machines and we exist in part of a, a larger complex machinery. That, that would be the idea. But, I have to say, The notion of survival of the human soul, if we take the data on reincarnation seriously, if we take some of the best cases of mediumship seriously, if we look at uh, some of the best evidence from... (laughs) the work of uh, Callum Cooper and my cousin, the late Scott Rogo, of phone calls from the dead. If we take that seriously, we have to say that it's not just information that is surviving. It is a living, I can't say breathing, because if you don't have lungs, you needn't breathe, but a conscious entity, agents in the afterlife that are endeavoring to accomplish something among other things to prove that they're still there, to prove that they have survived. So they have intention and information is not the same as intention. Information is not the same as expressing willful intent. And that's where I think we have to ask ourselves, are we talking about a an akashic field which is like a computer record information that can be retrieved if you just have the right search terms or is it alive is it conscious itself and this is something that gets confused i think in in the minds of people how so what's the confusion well if i think about the interviews that i did with jude kuravan uh, wonderful interviews, and she seemed to be very big on this idea that the universe is information based. She referred to the work of the physicist John Archibald Wheeler, who asked the question: Is it it from bit or bit from it? And and what that uh, <laughs> conundrum means is that was it information that created the physical universe or was it the physical universe that then generated information and uh, Wheeler I think has come to the conclusion that it starts with information and Jude was very uh, excited about that idea yes information is what the universe evolves out of however i think and I could be wrong. I'm just talking from memory here. I think really she was suggesting that information is itself conscious. I'm pretty sure that was her thinking. She referred to Indra's web, meaning uh, a kind of divine web of information. And I like that metaphor, but in a pure physical sense, in terms of Shannon Weaver information theory, for example, information is not conscious. Bits of information are not conscious in a computer. They can be manipulated like the letters of an alphabet. And we don't think of the letters of the alphabet as being conscious either. That raises the question then what is conscious after all? <laughs> I know that there are materialistic philosophers and Daniel Dennett has often seemed to be right there uh, in some sort of a philosophical sense. He's trying to maintain that we are not conscious. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm conscious. I don't know about you, but I'm conscious. Well, wait a second. We're the same person. Surely we know about each other, but Even so, can we trust that anyone else is conscious? Okay, let's not go down that rabbit hole because that leads us to what uh, is known in philosophy as solipsism, the idea that uh, for all we know there's only one conscious person in the world and it's me. I have no way of being sure that anyone else is conscious. But there's a whole other way to look at it because after all, where does my consciousness derive? From? That's the big question. And that's why I've done so many interviews with my friend Bernardo Castrup. I think if anybody is articulating a clear, concise, simple answer to that question, it is Bernardo. That's why I'm so happy to have now uh, quite a number of interviews with him in fact, more uh, to be released soon. <laughs> in fact, I should say, uh, for our viewers, be on the alert for a discussion with Bernardo that's going to amplify today's conversation because Bernardo is going to address the question of survival of consciousness beyond the death of the body in terms of his philosophy, which he calls analytical idealism. Incidentally, uh, I understand that the reason he calls it analytical idealism is because he wants to distinguish his version of idealism from the European or continental versions of idealism. I think perhaps he's even thinking of Schopenhauer, who is one of his philosophical heroes but might be thought of as a continental philosopher. Analytical philosophy is more, I'm pretty sure, American and, uh, and probably British as well. That's all true. But the point, the real major point we want to make here is, uh, and and I love the phrase that uh, Bernardo cites from Schopenhauer, that there is one I in the whole universe that looks out through every knowing creature. In other words, I'm conscious because I participate in the great one consciousness of the universe now and and let's make a clear this is a philosophical concept not a religious concept i'm not referring to god necessarily i'm referring to something that is universal that is pervasive that everything is embedded within and is itself consciousness it is the ultimate nature of everything. But uh, to describe that consciousness in theological terms as omnipotent and omniscient, that uh, may be a step too far. In fact, probably is a step too far. Still, I think it's fair to assume that because of this one consciousness and its myriad intricacies and powers, uh, our religious traditions have developed. They are earlier attempts of uh, great souls and human thinkers to come to grips with this reality. I like that idea, but then we're stuck with this conundrum. If there's one consciousness, why is it that we seem to be individuals separate from it? I'm me and you're you. Well, I know you're me, but I'm me and other people are themselves. Now, Bernardo, has a way of addressing this problem. He d- uses the idea of dissociation, which is a psychological term. It's a term often ref- used with reference to dissociative identity disorder. Now, associate- dissociative identity disorder used to be called multiple personality disorder, and it's well documented that s- a single person in a single body might have several. Unique, distinct personalities and through a process of dissociation. They get disassociated from each other. And he suggests that's what we are. We are dissociated fragments of that one great consciousness. It's a wonderful metaphor, but the real question is, in terms of human survival beyond bodily death, can these dissociated fragments persist in the absence of a physical body? Having just interviewed Bernardo on this subject, he's very doubtful about that. He's like so many scientists, like William James was saying, I'm waiting for the evidence to persuade me. Yes, and the strange thing is that many of William James's colleagues, such as Richard Hodgson, such as James Hislop, such as Sir Oliver Lodge and Frederick Myers, were all convinced by the evidence. While William James says, "I'm, I'm still waiting," and uh, you know, many of us are in that same position. And I think the reason is more about social pressure than about the logic of the evidence. Yes, but the real question uh, still comes down to this issue of dissociation. It's such a vague concept and when you try to apply it to the notion of the one consciousness within which everything else is embedded, it it would be nice if we had a clearer picture of it and how it might be applicable, let us say, in terms of the reincarnation data. That would be very nice and I do have uh, more ideas about that, but I think for now, We've kind of talked through some of the basic issues. The, the real uh, question that I was hoping that we would address today is the, the question of, is the Akashic field simply an information field or is it alive? Is it conscious? And I come down very heavily on the idea that uh, what we call the Akashic field is not just a big computer in the sky, it is consciousness itself. So, then the question uh, arises, can there be autonomous entities, discarnate entities, for example, or perhaps entities from the future, or perhaps entities from hyperspace or from other planets, can they persist within that Akashic field in the absence of what we call physical bodies, biological entities? I'm proposing that that's exactly the case. And uh, Of course, we need to learn a lot more about it. I think we have many tools at our disposal to begin to learn more about it, but that will be the topic for a separate discussion. I have to agree with you, since I know you so well. There are many tools available. As a matter of fact, many of those tools are, have already been discussed in depth in previous New Thinking Aloud interviews. So, uh, largely, when we come back to that discussion, we have a huge database of Prior interviews to refer to. That's exactly right. So, uh, let's close now. I want to thank you very much for interviewing me. And I want to thank you very much for being my guest today. And for those of you watching, thank you for being with me and with me.